Welcome to the Kosafa Show with Mark Gleason and Nick Say. Welcome to our latest episode of the Kasafa Show, where we wrap up the recent Kasafa under-17 tournaments that were staged at the Region 5 Games in Lilongwe and reflect on the World Cup in Qatar that ends on Sunday. Zambia and South Africa qualified for the Total Energies Under-17 AFCON Algeria 2023, which we played in April next year, after reaching the final of the boys' competition in Malawi, though it was the young Chipolo Polo who took the gold medal. We'll hear first from their coach, Ian Bacala, about his side's triumph. Well, I think uh, the journey for this player started a long way back. They were uh, under-15 national team. Yeah, I think we were preparing for this tournament. They went to Georgia. Uh, they came back. They have been training together for a while. And uh, I think to prepare for this tournament, I think we were just in camp, I think, for two weeks. And uh, I think it was just tactical that moment when we... We went in camp. Uh, I haven't with them for so long. Uh, it's only two weeks plus this tournament here, this period. And uh, I think in that two weeks, I was with them. They dealt with the philosophy of the national team, uh, what we wanted. And uh, although they're playing like this, they're not yet there also. Yeah, because again, the understanding, I think they're still young, they're still jelly. But the preparation was okay. We had two friendries in Zambia. Uh, of which I think we saw the things we have to correct before we came here. And uh, they showed character and training. Even the morale was high as we are coming here. Uh, we knew that we were going to have a good tournament. Uh, the first objective was to qualify to Cannes, of which we did. And uh, the second uh, objective is to get the cup. And uh, I think uh, we have prepared the players so well. How, what does qualifying for AFCON mean to you as a coach and also to this group of players to, to uh, improve the football development in Zambia? Well, I think it means a lot. Uh, it's my first time to be the coach for the national team. Uh, when I was a player, I started playing for the national team from this stage as an under-17 national team to the senior national team. I understand very well uh, when I started coaching also at the club, I started with the youth. And seeing this youth here, it wasn't difficult for me. And uh, I think uh, going forward, I think uh, for me as a coach, I want to build players for the future, for the country. And uh, if you have seen this this, uh, this quality of players we have, I think we are preparing them for the future. It's not just for tomorrow, uh, it's for the future. And uh, we want them at least to bring something to Zambia when they go to the senior team. We are still developing them, and uh, this age it's very difficult. What can you say about the teams that you faced in the group, and what did you take into uh, sell through the group stages? Well, I think it's just the commitment of players and unity, and understanding the philosophy. And there's something which we have put into players: uh, they should have a championship mentality. Uh, even if you are playing which team, you have to come like lions. They have to feel you guys because. Uh, I think uh, for them, preparing them like this, it's good for us because uh, even where they're going there, I think they'll find more than this, which is, uh, at the, I think at the moment, they're doing it and hopefully to see them do more for Zambian football. 
South Africa were runners-up in the boys' competition but showed plenty of potential under their new coach, Duncan Crowey. We spoke to him about the competition and the continental finals in Algeria next year. Yeah, we had a difficult task because we had quite a number of players, more than 100 players that were, were invited to, let's call it a trial camp. And at that trial camp, we were wanted to select about 40 players to come back for another camp so that we can um, be 100% sure that we've got the right players. But uh, of course, we know that um, you're, always, you're always going to make a mistake. And uh, so far, it worked out beautifully for us. Uh, we had uh, the, the training, uh, sorry, the trial camp. And then two weeks before the tournament itself, we had a camp where we prepared technically and tactically for this tournament. Uh, what were you specifically looking for in selecting the players? Man, uh, nowadays it's not only about your skill. It's about the values inside the player as well. We had a few players at the camp that, uh, you know, uh, let's put it plainly, with attitudes and so on. And that is not what we want uh, if you want to be successful and if you want to be champions. We don't want any rotten apples within within our creek. So, uh, yeah, we were looking at certain values in certain players. But, of course, the main, uh, the main uh, core, core subject is you must be able to play. So those were the things we were looking at. And now, what was your objective going to this tournament? Well, everybody, of course, they come here to win the tournament. And there were two objectives. Yes, the first one, reach uh, the final. That enables you to play in the African Cup of Nations next year. And then, of course, we've got another one, to, another objective to go for. Now that we're in the final, everybody wants to win the final. If you're in soccer just for the love of it, fine. But uh, if you want to become a soccer, pl- a professional soccer player, you've got to play to win. And that's what it's all about this time around. Uh, tournament football has its own dynamics. How did you navigate your way through the group? Man, we, 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 we were fortunate, we were blessed in the sense that we won our first two games. That enabled us to advance to uh, the knockout stages. And that gave us an opportunity to play the players that never played and rest the players that were regulars. So that helped us a bit. And hopefully, they will. Uh, nobody will be fresh for tomorrow's final. But uh, at least they had some rest in between. And hopefully that will help them to perform to the best of their ability in the final. What can you say about this group of South Africa players in terms of their physical and the technical attributes? I mean, if I look at the players that they competed against in this uh, Kosafa Cup, we, we matched them for size, we matched them for strength, and uh, with the ability of, uh, of playing soccer, of course, that goes hand in hand. So the, the strength part is there and the size is there as well. How did you look at uh, the level of competition in your group and across the entire tournament? Uh, we knew when we came here that Zambia, uh, unfortunately, Gola was disqualified. The, we knew that they were regular competitors as far as the Kasafa Cup is concerned. And we we studied them a little bit. The information that we had, we studied a li- little bit so that when we come up against them, then at least we know how to approach it. Any particular game that uh, had created a big impression in you that you would always remember in this tournament? Man, uh, every game is, has got different values. We came up against a team like uh, Seychelles. We won 11-0. The important thing that we can take from that game is the players wanted to continue scoring goals because that is what soccer is all about. We could so easily have gone into a rut and say, let's play around, let's fool around, but that's not what it's about. Uh, score as many goals as what you can, that is it. Uh, the next game we came up against uh, Mozambique, we scored one goal, but we had so many opportunities. So that was another lesson learned. Take your opportunities, otherwise you're going to struggle in the end. But we know nobody's perfect, nobody's going to put away all the goals. 
against Zambia, we gave um, everybody an opportunity. We came unstuck with one of But defensively, I think we were very good in that game. There will always be that pressure. If you're going through the motions, then there will be no pressure. So pressure will always be there. So uh, I don't see pressure as a factor. It's how we control that uh, that pressure when the when the first whistle starts. You must be excited you are through to AFCON. What does that mean to you and uh, soccer football in general? Uh, for South African football, it will be a gauge of where we are as far as this level of football is concerned because you can only gauge it when you play strength versus strength. And I think strength versus strength doesn't come bigger than the African Cup of Nations because you play against the top countries on the continent. Have you started processing what qualifying for AFCON means uh, to your team? And uh, are you thinking of specific objectives for AFCON, even though it's far away? You see, a person don't want to cloud your, your thinking because um, tomorrow is another game in the Kosafaka. And that is what we concentrate on fully. And when that is uh, uh, done, then we can start thinking about the African Cup of Nations. You are more closer to the players than the rest. What would be your message to uh, the South African football fraternity when these players go back in terms of the potential you've seen in the squad? No, uh, I hope they watch them on uh, on Kosafa TV. Quality players, quite a few quality players in the team. The most important thing at this age, they must be managed properly. And, uh, you know, we've heard so many times that th- that was a good player as a junior, but his attitude didn't allow him to progress. Now, we want to make sure if these players are managed properly, that the attitude stay, they stay level-headed and concentrate on becoming better all the time. So, yes, the attitude and the values within the players needs to be installed. You've played football at the highest level in South Africa. Mm-hmm. Any particular player that is giving you goosebumps in terms of the potential and that talent? Man, uh, there they, they are quite a few players for different reasons. You know, you get the Mabenas, you know, he can take on any defender, score goals out of nothing. Then you get a Benjamin Wallace at the back that's so calm and collected. You get a Sofiso Temba at the back, you know, uh, built with steel. Uh, that is the type of combination that you need. You get um, Xavier and you get Gabriel in the middle of the midfield. Classy players that can turn a defender very quickly, play through passes. So in the team itself, you've got quality. South Africa took gold of the Kasafa Girls Under-17 Championship after they beat Zambia in a hotly contested final that finished 4-3. Their coach, Victoria Mbata, sums up the competition and where to now for these girls. Welcome, Coach Mbata, to Kasafa TV. Congratulations for winning the championship. Thank you very much. It was a good game, eh? How would you summarize the final in terms of how you started and how you finished to win the championship? Yeah, we started uh, on the twenty on the twenty first back in South Africa. We organized camp for the ladies. They were coming straight from the exam, examinations. Uh, we gathered them together. Um, I think we, as all, all teams, all African teams, we need to understand the importance of camping. That is where you prepare your teams physically, because the physical conditioning is very very important, uh, especially um, your 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 your. Your, your strength, strength training is very, very important. Your endurance is very important. And then uh, most importantly is the, um, the understanding, tactical understanding of the players. They need to be able to understand and complement each other when we play. We, we, because of the time, the short time that we noticed, we decided to put everything under one training session and make sure that we get all those components under one training session. We cannot isolate any training session. But most importantly, those three, we, that's what we did. 
are now where to now having won the championship. What next now for this uh, under 17? Um, some of them are 16 years old. We need to make sure that they get to under 20s. Some of them are small. We need to make sure are young. We need to get other players to come and beef up the team. And we need to keep them active. And uh, the good thing about uh, South African ladies football is that there are leagues. There's Sasol League, there's um, Hollywood Bats, and most of the players are playing in those two leagues. And we have um, a technical center uh, also in Pretoria, a high-performance center. That's where we keep uh, all the good players and make sure that they are active uh, the whole year. And uh, we need to prepare the team for the qualifiers uh, next year. Where does this rank uh, to you as a coach uh, in your career? Personally, I'm a student of the game. I'm still learning, and I'm happy that I got your call today. I'm sure most uh, there will be opportunities showing, showing up, but uh, I'm still uh, committed uh, with SAFA, South African Football Association, and anything they want me, the SAFA wants me to do, I'm, I'll be more than happy to, 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 to do it. What can you say about the potential of your players uh, to go far in their careers? These players have shown me something I've never seen. They are very disciplined. They have got energy and they work hard. They take instruction. And I would like to see them uh, in Banyana Banyana. You know, uh, currently our Banyana Banyana, our first team is doing good. So I'm sure Coach Desri will be interested in having uh, young players. And as well, um, I would like to see them playing all over the continent and abroad in Europe because uh, of what I saw, they've got a potential. They are very, very good. And as young as they are, they are doing a lot of stuff uh, in training. They don't complain. They push themselves. They made my job, our job, easier. Let's go back to the final. Did the way the opposition play pan out the way you expected them to play? Or there was an element of surprise? Or we expected them to pump the, all the balls to us. And yes, they did. But towards the end of first half, uh, we, we, we realized that we had a gap in the middle field because now they started, they were starting to win all the balls in the middle field. And then at halftime, we told them that no ways, let's change the tactics. Let's press them in the middle field. Let's press the supply and frustrate them. After frustrating them, that is when we started to realize there are gaps in between their defense and we utilized those gaps. And then we did the same, pump the ball behind them and make sure that our, wing, our, our wingers uh, run to the balls I ran to those balls and, and that's how we killed the game. How difficult was it for you having gone in front then you were behind? Uh, was it a bit frustrating? It was, a, it was frustrating. It definitely was frustrating. But uh, we kept on uh, encouraging the girls to win all the balls, number one. And number two, we reminded them that they need to be consistent in their attack because we started to fall back now in creating a space in the, between uh, the defense and the middle field. We, 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 make sure, we told the girls that they need to push up as much as possible so that uh, as soon as they close that gap, we will be able to play those balls behind them and get them on, on, on the counter. How would you summarize the entire tournament uh, taking place in Malawi in terms of the environment, the competition, the fans? First of all, I would like to thank God for giving me this opportunity. I would like to thank South African Football Association. I would like to thank 
COSAFA. I would like to thank um, Region 5 uh, uh, Organizing Committee. I would like to thank my family. I would like to thank uh, my technical team and the girls. They did a very, very good and a wonderful job. And uh, a very special thanks to Malawi for hosting these games. We didn't have any problem. Uh, it, 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 they really showed us that Malawi is the warm heart of Africa. We would definitely like to come again and play in Malawi. And then you think a word in local language any food, any any new things that you pick from around going back to Africa? Uh, Mulebanji. <laughs> <laughs> and we ate a lot of, uh, what do you call this fish? Chambo. Um, Chambo. Okay. No, <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. Cool. Wishing you all the best. Thank you very thank much. You. Mark, Lisa and I had the pleasure of covering the World Cup from Qatar and there was certainly a tournament that will go down as one of the best ever. Now we get the chance for a first-hand account of the event from our man who is still there, our very own Mark Leeson, as we reflect on Africa's challenge. This has been an unusual World Cup in the sense of its timing coming in the middle of the season. Do you think, Mark, that this has contributed to the football that we've seen on the pitch? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, players would have been uh, match fit, match ready. They've come straight uh, from their clubs. They have had uh, a good three or four months to peak in terms of their fitness what usually happens at World Cups is that um, they are in June, July, and the players are absolutely exhausted at the end of long seasons. And that was a particular problem a couple of editions back where actually Sepp Blatter brought in regulations that there was that there would be a fixed uh, vacation time for players where there actually had to be a block where there would be no football at all to try and give them a little bit of a break coming out of the club season and into the World Cup because FIFA recognised that a lot of the World Cup uh, previously in, in terms of the quality of the football was being hampered by the fact that the players were not fit. Um, so I think this Winter World Cup, as they are calling it, is um, one that's got them thinking a little bit in terms of the timing. I mean, potentially in the future to have it in a November, December really seems uh, far-fetched because, of course, the club seasons are so dominant and the clubs are so powerful as well. But um, the one factor in Qatar, certainly, or one of the many factors in Qatar, certainly has been the fact that um, the players have been up for it. They've been ready. And as a result, we've seen some really sparkling football. And if we just talk about the general uh, level of organization in Qatar, my experience when I was there, what is very slick and, and well planned out. What's What's been yours? Yes, absolutely. I mean, the World Cup is like that traditionally. I mean, South Africa too in 2010 was a magnificently organized event um, and there were very few um, mix-ups anywhere, be it uh, in and around the stadium, highways, airports, etc. Everybody seems to pull together. It's a, it's a massive um, undertaking. It's well-coordinated. Um, Qatar, of course, has a big advantage of its geography in the sense of it's it's small and everything is close by. So it's been logistically, I think, a, a lot easier the World Cup. You don't have to move people and masses and fans and supporters across large distances, um, which is obviously going to be the case in four years' time when we go to America. But um, organizationally, I think they didn't put a foot wrong. There was there was no particular incident. Um, there were maybe I think they maybe misjudged one or two of the fan zones. Uh, in terms of the numbers there, but they quickly sorted that out. And they seemed a country who were really prepared and at the ready, not 100% sure what was going to hit them, um, but certainly um, with enough personnel in place to deal with it when it happened. And we saw that with the fan zones, we saw that often on the Metro, um, particularly this week in the semifinals, uh, the Metros were really heaving, very well coordinated jobs by by um, by the security and by the by the Metro officials and lots and lots and lots of personnel on hand to help. 
which was um, a sign of, of, of some very good organization, in my opinion. So let's get stuck into the African teams then, starting with uh, Tunisia, who went out on the group stages, of course. How would you sum up their campaign? Well, Tunisia, um, before the World Cup, in my opinion, were arguably one of the worst African sides to ever go to a World Cup. And I based that on the fact that I think their qualification was so lucky. They were in weak groups. They had a weak pairing in the playoff. Um, and they, even despite the mediocre opposition that they were up against, they certainly did not impress. They were very lucky to overcome Mali and to qualify um, for the finals. It was a own goal away from home in the first leg that allowed them to win on aggregate. They, they didn't even score a goal at home in the second leg when they were hosting um, the, the second leg of the qualifiers. So, and of course, they've done very poorly at the Cup of Nations too. They'd lost more games at that competition than they actually won, and they scraped through into the into the knockout phase, um, and into, you know went out in the quarterfinals. So, going into the tournament, I didn't really hold out much hope for them. Um, young, inexperienced coach, and not a lot of quality players. But I think the big factor for Tunisia, and it was evident straight away, was um, the crowd. There are a lot of Tunisians who live here, um, who work, and who um, have made this their home and who were there to support, and they created the most incredible atmosphere. I think that really, really lifted the crowd, and that's obviously something that um, is, is true for Morocco too, and we presumably get to that a little bit later, but um, I think Tunisia played out of their socks, um, and they have, a, they have the crowd to thank for a lot of that. Um, I think that um, the win over France was a magnificent achievement for them. I mean, it's uh, although it was... To be fair, the French B team, um, they were resting all of their players having qualified. It's still a, a, a magnificent scalp to have, and I think it'll be a confidence booster for, for Tunisian football. Uh, I do get the sense that they're going to change their coach, um, that they weren't happy, which I think is a little bit strange given they beat France and they certainly did not disgrace themselves. But um, at the end of the day, uh, they pretty much did what we expected that they, they would do, They they uh, and maybe a little bit more. So I don't think they can be unhappy with their with their uh, World Cup. And moving on to Ghana, Ghana for me too were uh, a side who were um, potentially going to be very weak. Certainly nothing like the Ghanaian teams that have gone to previous World Cups and achieved. Of course, you know, two thousand six their first appearance, they got through the first round. Twenty ten, they got to the quarterfinals. Um, this was a Ghanaian side I thought that would do very poorly. Um, and I was very surprised in the beginning when they started their first game against uh, the Portuguese with the five-man defence. I mean, that's not Ghanaian football. It was a, a a rather cautious way to go into the game. Obviously, a little bit scared of Cristiano Ronaldo and his teammates, but still showing a real lack of ambition. And I think once they'd gone behind in that game and they changed it up and 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 looked to maybe a little be a little bit more expansive and to actually try and get back into the match, they realized that they had the potential to actually go toe-to-toe with some of these bigger sides. So, um, you know, taking a coach to a World Cup who hasn't even coached a club, um, Otto Addo is a German-born Ghanaian whose pedigree is youth football in Germany. Admittedly, they were uh, uh, a little bit um, in a pickle because they had to make the appointments coming out of a very poor Cup of Nations and they didn't have much time before the World Cup qualifiers in, in um, March. But I still think uh, his hand, he showed his hand there as a, you know, someone who, who, who uh, at this level, level of the game has got a lot to learn 
And that set uh, Ghana back. I think they bounced back very well in the second game. Certainly gave themselves a chance uh, to qualify. There was the expectation for that final match against Uruguay that they might still make it, plus still get some revenge for what happened in 2010. But I think ultimately um, that would have been a bonus for Ghana, for this generation of Ghanaian players. There are a lot of youngsters there who are... I think going to be a much more potent force uh, in the coming years. But this is a, perhaps a, a, gener- a, a new generation that's starting now. We'll see the uh, IU brothers leave uh, one or two other players. And then we'll see a lot of exciting players like Mohamed Kudus, um, Suleimana from Rennes in France, uh, the youngster uh, Isakyu who plays at Sporting Lisbon. He only had a few minutes on the pitch, but um, he looked bright and he looked hungry. And I think um, we have the makings of a Ghanaian side that could well go on and win an African championship in the in the future. I think uh, they they uh, there was uh, an, enough on display there to to suggest that uh, they've got something now. So what they need to do is to get themselves a decent coach and a, and a leader for this group and someone who can pull it all together and get them going. Uh, and just on that, Mark, one of the unusual aspects of this World Cup for African teams was the fact that uh, all five coaches were essentially homegrown. I, I don't know you were saying about Ottawa, you know, German-born, but Ghanaian roots and whatnot. Is that kind of the way to go? Is is the era of sort of foreign coaches on big money coming in to lead African teams? Has, has, have we left that behind us? Well, on the on the evidence of the moment, no, because, I mean, you look at countries like Nigeria and Egypt just recently, both employing Portuguese coaches. I think there'll always be a place for a big-name coach from Europe. He does bring a, a gravitas, uh, a sense of purpose that perhaps, um, you know, the, the, an African coach doesn't carry with him unfairly or, 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 or fairly. Um, but I think um, certainly the sense that you need a coach who understands um, the culture, who understands the way to deal with players um, is more and more important. A coach who can foist a, a family atmosphere, who can create this, you know, um, a, a sense of purpose for, for a team, not rule, um, dictatorially, but you know, to make it a pleasant atmosphere for the players, that's becoming more and more important. I mean, we're dealing with teenage millionaires these days, you know, pampered, um, cloistered players uh, who probably increasingly now need an arm around their shoulders rather than someone scolding them, which was the old way. I think uh, that must be taken into consideration. And Walid Regraoui obviously got it right for Morocco. He really did galvanize uh, his side all the way through the semifinals. But I, I still think we're probably going to see a mix over the coming years, if not decades, of you know big name imports mixed up with uh, exciting young coaches given an opportunity at the highest level. And if we move on to Cameroon, uh, perhaps this kind of a typically topsy turvy campaign for them that ended on a high with that that massive win against Brazil, but ultimately not enough to get into the last sixteen. Yeah, I think there again, uh, inexperienced coach, uh, maybe a bit too much meddling by the federation president Samuel Eto, who seemed to be pushing all the buttons. Uh, not enough quality in the squad, not enough depth. It was obviously the Andre Onana incident, uh, which uh, saw their top goalkeeper leave for the clash with uh, with um, Rigobert Song. So obviously the confidence in the coach is not there from the players who play at a high level in Europe and who are exposed to very good coaching, particularly like someone from an, like Onana, who's come from the Ajax Amsterdam school. He would, he, you know, he would know what a good coach is and what a bad coach is. And he, he obviously felt that uh, Cameroon were being let down. That led to confrontation with the coach and his uh, departure from the World Cup. Um, but yeah, at the end of the day, there wasn't much hope for Cameroon and they kind of delivered on that on that uh, 
um, prediction. However, beating Brazil also puts some gloss on their World Cup. And um, it, it was only their third win, or sorry, it was their first win in 20 years of the World Cup. They've been to more World Cups than any, any other African side. So I suppose we can give them sort of six out of 10. Um, it wasn't a failure, but um, no one really expected them to go through it in, in what was a very tough group. I mean, Brazil, Serbia, Switzerland, that uh, was extraordinarily hard for them to progress from. And then if we, we move on to Senegal, obviously they had a huge blow in the build-up to the tournament with Sadio Mane ruled out through injury. Still got through their pool and then had a bit of a perhaps unlucky draw in the last 16. Yeah, I think, um, again, um, Mane's uh, absence would have restricted the um, expectation for Senegal. I think um, the fact that uh, they lost an absolutely key player would have, would have been a massive blow to their side as well. They tried really, really hard. I thought in the first game against the Dutch, they were unlucky to concede two near the end. Um, they did well to come back against Qatar and they did very well to beat uh, Ecuador, uh, perhaps a tiring Ecuador side in that last game. But that was basically a final for the two to decide who would go through with the Dutch. And then uh, England really picked them apart. And there was a classic example of you know four games in the space of, I think, about 13, 14 days. And the fact that if you don't have a squad um, of players who are competing at the highest level on a regular basis, the fatigue, um, the exertion really does take its toll. And I think they really did crumble against the English. It was uh, it was a very easy win for England and a, a rather disappointing way to go out. It would have been a massive scalp had they won that game. Um, so I, th I think uh, there'd be a lot of empathy with, uh, with uh, Senegal. But um, yeah, there was a sense maybe they, they were going to be Africa's big hope for this tournament, but that went when uh, Mane did his uh, knee in the game with Bayern Munich. And then we have the shining light, Morocco, first African team to uh, reach the semifinals and really did it uh, playing some excellent organized uh, football. Yeah, and, and I think, first of all, um, we must acknowledge the crowd and how much of a 12th man they really were. I mean, the, the noise they made was absolutely incredible. I think when they played the first game against Croatia, it lifted them. It gave them a result. And I think they suddenly thought themselves, hey, hang on, we can do something here. Um, I felt in the second game against Belgium, they were really tiring. They were in some some trouble. And although Belgium were, were, were fairly mediocre that day, you felt that they were ready to be picked off, that they were, they were absolutely exhausted, Morocco, now with a second match in four days against high-quality European opposition. And then all of a sudden, they had that free kick, um, tight angle, goalkeeper Courtois, perhaps at fault for Belgium, goes in the back of the net. Morocco score their first World Cup goal. Crowd goes absolutely nuts. And the lift it gives the players, it just gave them a complete second, third, fourth wind. And they were they were out of their they played out of their socks in the last 20 minutes. Belgium didn't have a way back. Second goal on the counter and suddenly you've got a 2-0 victory against Belgium under your belt. Um and four points in the bag and your whole World Cup changes. And of course, the prospect now of playing Canada, you know, the weakest team in the group. So um, it, it really, that that free kick, in my opinion, changed it all for, for Morocco. That's, um, that 70th minute effort, just when they were tiring, created the whole World Cup for them. And they rode the wave after that. The, they were better than the Canadians. They were tired. Again, the crowd helped them through, um, conceded an own goal. 
So still not beaten by any other team. And then off against Spain in the round of 16, very defensive performance. I mean, a little bit lucky there, if we are to be fair. Um, the Spanish the Spanish had incredible amount of possession. Not too many chances until the last 20-odd minutes, I think, of extra time when they Morocco were really, really hanging on. Wonderful penalties, um, both converted and saved by Yusuf uh, Bonu and a first ever quarterfinal for them, uh, a fourth one for Africa. Everyone's over the moon. And and the, from there on, um, anything was possible. I think um, they ran into a Portuguese side, obviously, with their own problems around Ronaldo. That must have helped them a little bit. But Portugal certainly looked a quality outfit. They started that game very brightly. Um, and all of a sudden, boom, Morocco get a goal. It was, uh, it was a fantastic, uh, fantastic header and then showed incredible grit, uh, incredible strength and just held out as they had against Spain. This time with self-belief, you know, when you beat Belgium, when you beat Spain and you're leading Portugal one goal to nil, your whole mindset changes. So I think they were absolutely fabulous in that game. And then, uh, the euphoria of a first African side into the semi-final, obviously a bridge too far against the French. Um, and you could see that they were absolutely out on their feet. And the coach said as much afterwards, he said a lot of players playing at 60 to 70%, but um, still at the end of the day, a magnificent story. And, and I think probably Africa's best World Cup. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. You know, if we take it all in as a summary and look at this, is this kind of a, a watershed World Cup for Africa? Um being able to prove again that they can perform and beat teams at this level after the disappointment of 2018, or is that reading too much into it? No, I think I think uh, it's watershed in the sense of it, it it gives everybody a belief now. Remember, next World Cup is 48 teams in North America. There'll be nine African sides. They might be a tenth through the playoffs. And I think every single one of them will have Morocco as the reference point, and they will go to that World Cup. A lot of them will. There's a possibility that a few of them might be for the first time, or certainly for a, for the first time in a long while. They will go to that World Cup uh, believing that they could do as well as Morocco did. I think it's been a huge game changer for African football, just in terms of the mindset. Remember, Russia was an absolute failure four years ago. The fact that um, not a single African side made it through to the second round. And there's been a lot of, um, you know, a lot of discussion over the last four years about that. There's been a, a lot of concern in African football about where Africa is going. Why is it not pushing forward in the way that many people predicted it would? So this this Moroccan achievement takes, you know, they take a whole continent on their shoulders with them. Um, and I think it gives everybody huge, huge confidence. And then finally, if we look ahead to Sunday's final between Argentina and France, Messi against Mbappe, two PSG teammates, um, it should be a fitting finale to what has been a really exciting and dramatic tournament. Just your view on, on that game? Yeah, well, the messy factor is obviously the sentimental one. Um, and I think, um, you know, there's so much support for him here in Qatar from people who want, you know, want him to do well, want him to crown his uh, his uh, career with the World Cup. But from an African perspective, of course, um, this is a French side packed with African talent. You know, there's players from Benin, from Mali, from Guinea-Bissau, from Cameroon, from Angola, uh, from the Ivory Coast. 
I mean, it's a team full of African talent, and I think the continent is going to be behind France on uh, on Sunday, and I think France are going to be the strongest side. I think Messi is uh, is up against Mbappe, and um, it might be more the Mbappe show than the Messi show. I mean, sentimentally, you'd like to see Messi finally win the World Cup, but I think at the end of the day, the French are going to be too powerful. That's it for another episode of the Kasafa Show. We'll be back with one more in 2022 next week and wish you all a very restive, festive season. Don't forget you can listen to more of our podcasts on Soccer Duma Radio, Kasafa.tv, Spotify, and iTunes. And you can also get the latest news via our website at www.kasafa.com and on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. 